So Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Shh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the joy. We thank you for just, Lord, the peace that we have as we come here. I pray that you speak to us this morning. Lord, that the focus will be on you and what you have done in this text and ultimately who you are as God. And Father, I just thank you for how good you are, how much you love us, how much you care for us. And Lord, I pray that we would all understand how much you love us and how gracious you are this morning. So we thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read starting in verse 36. It's going to take a minute because we're going to go through the end of the chapter. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fra- fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture It is such a beautiful description and story, and the parable is wonderful to explain the story and the situation that's happening of the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God towards mankind and man's response to it. You've got one of two responses. You've got the one like the Pharisee. You've got the one like the woman, and we're going to talk about that as we delve in a little bit further. So starting in verse 36, as one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, speaking of Jesus, so there's a Pharisee, his name is Simon, he goes up to Jesus, he wants to, I don't know what, what his purpose is, but he wants to know more of Jesus, he wants to dine with him, he wants to hear, he wants to talk. <clears throat> Maybe he's questioning if he really is the prophet, who he says he is. Whatever it is, Simon, we're in this situation. Jesus is dining with Simon, and Jesus doesn't deny it. And I love that, that Jesus was willing not only to identify with the sinners, right, the tax collectors, the, you know, the, the ones that people didn't like, uh, but also the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, you know, so he wasn't, he's no respecter of persons, right, so it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, 
Everyone, Jesus is acceptable, uh, accessible to everyone, right? He makes himself accessible to everyone. So he goes to eat with this Pharisee. They sit down to eat, and uh, the way that they ate was a little different than we eat. You know, we have different, it's different culture. You know, a lot of us, have, I'm sure your mom and dad tell you not to put your elbows on the table, right? Or, you know, no hats at the table, or, you know, you got to use manners. You got to have the fork and the knife on the right side, and, or I don't know what the rules are. We don't do that at home. But, but in this time, what they would do, the, the, usually the, the table was low to the ground, and they would sit on the ground and kind of lay on the ground and kind of prop themselves up with, with one arm, with their feet a little bit behind them, and they would just casually eat together. Like it was a really intimate, intimate time. So Simon's here. He's inviting him to come. Simon wants to learn. Uh, but what we're, we're going to find out is that he is obviously not a believer. He does not believe in Jesus and the things that he says. Rather, he's a skeptic, but he might be a skeptic that's probably a little bit open-minded to what is happening. And again, Jesus accepts this invitation. Uh, he's always criticized. We even see in verse 34 that he's criticized uh, for even being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But again, he even associates with the elite of the, the religious. Um, so, we get into verse 37. It says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. <coughs> this is interesting how, how Luke puts it. And you would think as, as, as Luke writes, okay, there's this woman who's in the city, and she's considered a sinner. Now, what does the Bible say about all men? That they are all what? Sinners, sinners right? So why identify this woman as a sinner? Isn't it like just obvious that Whoever comes is a sinner, the Pharisee's a sinner, this woman's a sinner, the disciples are a sinner. Well, one thing we know is that she was not invited. We know that she was a resident of the town and that she was looked down upon and had the, the stigma and the label as a sinner. And not just any sinner, like the Bible calls all men to be sinners, but she had a reputation. She had a bad reputation. She had, uh, we're not told of her sin, but because she is called the, what is she called verbatim? It's um, a woman in the city who was a sinner. We know that her sin was probably something that was not a, a, a common sin, right? Like, okay, we've all lied. We've all done this. Uh, more than likely, and not to assume too much, but more than likely she was promiscuous, possibly a prostitute. And that's why, and she was probably known within the city to be one of those ladies, now, how she got into that, I don't know. That's not really the point of the story. The point was that she was in sin, and she was known to be in sin, and she was one of the people in that time that you just would not associate with, right? That you wouldn't invite to your dinner, that you wouldn't be caught uh, talking to or allowed to touch you, right? Because of all the things that she has done. But here is this woman who, if that were the situation, is broken, right? is broken, she's battered. I'm sure her, her self-image was, was tattered. Um, always hearing criticism, everyone judging her. Uh, nobody wants to associate with her, nobody likes her. Um, I'm sure she was spat upon and, and mistreated. I'm sure that she was the brunt of jokes and criticism. I'm sure she was shunned, that she really had no one. 
because no one wanted to be with her or a part of her. And I'm sure inwardly she was broken and that she was wounded. And I know that in that same sense, and though that we may not have been in the same type of sin, we have all experienced, not all, but maybe we have experienced those same feelings and those same emotions. And we have gone through those same things where people have just, they don't think of us as anything. And here she is, she's broken, and she comes to Jesus. And that is the beautiful thing about Jesus, is that we can come to him not having cleaned ourselves up, not having fixed ourselves, not having done the right things, but we can come to him as we are, as the known sinner, and we can come to him and he accepts us and he doesn't reject us. He doesn't say, ew, I know what you've been doing. That's gross. Stay away from me, right? That is our natural reaction. That is Simon's natural reaction as he's going to question as even why Jesus is letting this woman touch him. And yet Jesus, because he's loving, okay, we got to forget, we can't forget that Jesus is loving, that God is loving, that he cares, that he allows us to approach him no matter our sin, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And then, then he cleanses us, then he renews us. It's not a matter of me cleaning myself up and me stop sinning and me doing, starting to do good things. It's a matter of him restoring me and forgiving me. And we see this with this woman that he simply is going to forgive her and that changes everything about her. Who cares about her, what her identity is in the world anymore? Who cares if people see her as a sinner or as this or a prostitute or whatever? She now knows that she is in Christ and has been renewed and forgiven And he says, go away in peace. And it is only through the forgiveness of Christ that we are able to have peace from the things that that tear us down in this world. So she comes, and I believe, as we read this story, that she has already been forgiven by Jesus. As we're going to read later on in in Scripture, as as we get down to the latter half of it, it almost implies that Jesus has already forgiven her, but now he's going to forgive her in a public setting. And the reason that she even approaches this dinner is because she has already been forgiven. And that's what we need to understand, is that she does all these acts and all these wonderful things for her Lord and Savior because she has already been forgiven. It's, it's her response to forgiveness. Her, her response is to love and adore and show appreciation to Jesus. So she brings in verse 37, it says, "In alabaster jar, an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And alabaster was a translucent form of gypsum, and it was considered the best material to make containers to store oils and perfume. So here's this perfume. It's probably expensive. And what we see is that, and we've seen this with different stories in the New Testament, where people have used expensive perfumes. Sometimes it would be like a year's wages, right? Like that's a lot of money to use on something that just lasts for a moment, right? But these ladies, they knew that it was worth it because of who they were giving it to, right? That's like what we talked about this past weekend with our worship towards God, is that he is worthy of it, right? There's no one else that is worthy of it. There's no one else that is worthy of a a, a one year's wages of, of perfume. Nobody is worthy of that, but yet God was, and there was nothing too big that we could bring God to with our worship. There was nothing too extravagant, nothing too expensive, Whatever we could offer still wouldn't be enough. 
right? But even in that sense, I don't think that Jesus cared about the amount of the perfume or how expensive it was. He cared about the heart, right? If I had a $1 wages of perfume, and that's all I had, but I gave it to the Lord, he would be accepting of that. Because again, he cares about the heart and what we bring to him. So here's this expensive fragrant oil that typically you would put on the head, but she's going to put on his feet. And it says in verse 38 that, she, and, and he stood at his feet, she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. So that, I mean, like, imagine that happening now. Like, that would be, it'd be kind of weird, right? It'd be really awkward. I don't know how you are. I'm not the best at it when somebody's crying, right? <clears throat> I don't know how you are with handling people that cry. I don't know if you're like me and you like just pat them on the head and you're like, it's going to be okay. Or if you're really like that really empathetic person that will like cry with them or you will love on them and hug them and you just know the right things to say and the right things to do, right? So here she is. She like Jesus and the Pharisee are, are trying to have dinner. This woman who is known as the sinner within the city, comes uninvited, comes into the dinner, stands behind Jesus as they're eating, and just starts crying. I'm sure she came in crying. I think that's, that's the, 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 the type of language that we have here, that she was just constantly crying, that she came in crying, weeping. All right, so she's weeping. She comes, she, she falls at his feet, and she's crying so much. And I don't know if you've cried like this before, like where you're just crying so much that the tears are just coming out, and it's literally cleaning his feet. you got to imagine in that time, they wore, you know, like flip-flops type stuff, sandals. So their feet were constantly dirty. They didn't have paved roads. So their feet were constantly dirty. And her tears were enough to wash away the dirt on Jesus' feet. And so much that, that she would then, she undid her hair, which was, you know, not something you would do in that time. Like, that was something that was probably shocking in and of itself. That this woman would, would let her hair down in this culture so she let her hair down, and she used it like as a towel and starts to wipe away the dirt off of his feet using her hair and her tears. Then, it sounds, yeah, I mean, honestly, it sounds gross. But at the end of the day, if, if you were to say, you wouldn't catch me doing that, then you really have to check yourself. Again, this is, I'm not, ask, I'm not giving you the picture of you doing this to me or anyone else. I would be right there with you. I'd be like, you would never catch me doing that to Alex's feet, right? Like, no. <laughs> I love the guy, but not that much. But it's Jesus. And this is her response. She knows that she's broken. She knows that, that her, her self-image is just completely shattered. She thinks of herself as nothing. She has no value. And people are backing it up by the way they're, they're treating her. And yet here comes this not just this man, but God, who not only knows every dark secret about her and knows her heart and her intentions and still loves her. And not just like, I'll love you from afar. It's an intimate type of love that he cares and that he wants to restore her and he forgives her. And once, once, she, once you and once she has experienced this grace and forgiveness, now, I, I like, the, like using the words like experiential grace. Like once you have actually experienced grace, it changes everything about you. <laughs> yeah, you, you could sit here day, week in and week out and hear about grace 
but it doesn't really mean much until you actually experience that grace. And so there's been times in my life where I have done dumb stuff. I mean, you have too. And I have, I have hurt other people by my actions and the things that I've done. And I have experienced grace from other people because I've, I've sought their forgiveness and they, they have shown me grace when I didn't deserve it. And so that was a glimpse of God's grace. But in the end, when I experienced God's grace, when I realized that I was a sinner and not worthy of anything, not, not even just to be a part, not even to be alive, the, to realize the wretched man that I am and that he loved me and that he forgave me and that he would even put me in a position to do something for his kingdom, that, that experiential grace changes all, everything. It changes your speech, your mind, your heart, your actions. It's a complete transformation. And so she's able to humble herself to wash his feet. Again, where most people would be like, you're not catching me doing that. But the grace and the forgiveness brought about this humility and this love that she was able to do this act. She's crying, she's wiping, she's kissing his feet. That shows you the type of humility and the type of love that she has. But remember, these actions don't precede the grace and forgiveness that she got from Jesus. <coughs> it came from the grace and love that she got from Jesus. And so she, she wants to show it. And that's just a natural response. I, I remember the times that, you know, I've been forgiven and shown grace by people. My natural response is, is to treat them well and not to take advantage of that grace because I didn't deserve it. So I want to treat them well. I want to show them that I love them. I want to do kind things. And for Jesus, it's, it's even more. <clears throat> Listen, true love, it's not arrogant. It's not prideful. We all know 1 Corinthians 13 if you don't read it. True love, it's humble. It's self-sacrificing. And this woman, she was not prideful in any sense. She was lowly. She was humble before Jesus. She wasn't trying to show off. She was just trying to show Jesus her love. As simple as that. Then we get into verse 39. It says, The Pharisee who had invited Jesus in saw this, and he spoke to himself, right? So this is like just in his head. And he says, <coughs> This man, if he were a prophet would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon knows who this woman is. Simon has heard the story. Simon has seen her out in the street. Simon knows this. Simon knows that. And Simon says, <laughs> if Jesus were a prophet, if he were what he says he was, if he knew that he could actually, if he says that he knows things, and he knows people, he knows hearts, he knows about people, he knows the future in a sense, then if he actually knew that, and if he were a prophet, he wouldn't let her touch him. So Simon's thinking in his head, he's thinking this, if you only knew who was touching you, Jesus, you wouldn't let her touch you. And since you're letting her touch you, it seems as if you don't know who she is, which ultimately means you're not the prophet you say you are. Because Simon knows who she is, and he knows that because I know who she is, she's not touching me. That's gross. You don't, that she's what we would call an untouchable. And yet, I love that Jesus is going to respond. He's going to answer, even though that Simon spoke this to himself. He's going to answer, and he's going to reveal and expose Simon's heart, and that Simon is really the one who 
is, has the heart that is just far from God. And, and Jesus is going to expose that by reading his heart. And Jesus answers here, and he says in verse 40, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. <clears throat> Simon has no idea. He's about to teach him and throw down a lesson. So he said, teacher, say it. He says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And so denarii in that time, it was Roman silver coin. It was roughly the equivalent of like a day's wage. Okay, so just to give us like an idea and a perspective, let's say $120, right, is what you make in a day. Right, like that's just like a, a, a decent average. 120 bucks, um, but there's one that owes 500 denarii and the other 50. So 50 denarii would be equivalent to about $6,000. Okay, how many of you have $6,000? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. We don't need to know that. How many of you have $60,000? I do need to know this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? So, so we've got one that owes $6,000. And this is simple math, right? I think you guys all understand this. You're in middle school or high school or college. You got $6,000 and $60,000. Which one would you rather owe? Six thousand or sixty thousand, because <clears throat> five hundred denarii is equivalent to sixty thousand dollars. Okay, so we got five hundred denarii, fifty, six hundred or sixty thousand dollars, and six thousand dollars. And Jesus is just giving us this this basic. It's it's so simple, but yet it's so profound. And that's just how Jesus is. So again, there's a certain creditor, two debtors. One had five hundred, and one the other fifty. And in verse thirty-two, when they had nothing with which to repay, so you're in debt $6,000, I'm in debt $60,000, both of us have zero dollars, we both can't, we're both in the same situation where we can't repay. It's as simple as that. It's going to be a lot easier for you to repay yours because it's a lot less than mine. But let's say <clears throat> Jesus, you know, the debtor then goes and forgives you of your debt, and I would be completely pumped that you just forgave $60,000. You'd be pumped too, but it would be only $6,000. You'd be like, I, I could probably scrounge that up somewhere, right? You're probably like thinking, gosh, that's not fair. You just forgave $60,000, but only me six? Well, you only had six, right? <clears throat> Either way, I think we're excited that we've been forgiven because we both couldn't repay something that we owed. And so Jesus says this. He says, when they, when they had nothing with which to repay, in verse 42, he freely forgave them both, Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now, I thought about this and I was thinking, Jesus, are you saying the one who commits more sin, because this is a parable, it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a story to give us an example to biblical understanding. If I were to commit more sin and so-and-so next to me committed less sin, do I then, and then you forgive both of us, do I then love you more? because I committed more sin, right? I mean, that's where my mind went as I was studying this. And I think, to an extent, yes, but also no. Because I think this, regardless of the amount of sin or what type of sin, you will realize that you are a wretched man or a wretched woman. And to you, your sin is the worst. Just like Paul said, you know, I am the, um, what does he say? I'm the chief of sinners. Was he the worst sinner ever to live? Did he do the worst? No, he didn't. But he considered himself the chief of sinners. 
He talks about in the New Testament, I forget who it was, I think it was Peter, called himself the least of the least, right? Like, it's all about your perspective and how you view yourself to a holy and perfect and righteous God. That I don't, it's not about comparison to your left or your to your right, the one that has 6,000 or 60,000, the one that has done more things or more provocative, more whatever. Who cares? I realize that I am a sinner, that I am wretched, that I am gross, that, that, that sin, the darkness of sin is dark. Once it gets dark, dark can't get any darker, right? Sin is sin. So at the end of the day, I realize that I'm the wretched man, I am the chief of sinners, and, that, and, and if he forgives me, then that brings about a response of gratitude and love. Again, it's about perspective. And so he says, who, who uh, I uh, what is it? sorry, he says, which of them will love him more? And in this example, it would be the one that was forgiven much. But again, if you know that you have been forgiven much, then your response will be the same as everyone else, as, as everyone who knows that you did not deserve the forgiveness to begin with. So again, it's not a matter of comparing or contrasting or this amount or that amount. It's about your perspective and understanding, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. The wretched man that I am, I do not deserve the gift, the free gift of this grace and forgiveness so that that brings about a response of love and gratitude, and I will love him so much. Now, if you think that, ah, I'm not that bad, well, then, then your response of your love towards God is, is not going to be as much as if you realize how bad of a sinner that you are. And so it's important to understand this. Listen, it's important to understand this because Simon didn't think of himself as that bad. He didn't think of himself as a sinner. He didn't think of himself as that bad of a person because he did good things. He did this, he did that. Or he probably thought, well, I didn't, I'm not like her. I'm not out here selling my body for money. I'm, you know, that's the comparison is I'm not as bad as this person. But once you do that, you lose the effect of, of the grace that Jesus has for you. Focus on your own self and your own heart. And so we've got one man who, who doesn't show love to Jesus. And then we've got this woman who does because of the great debt that she was forgiven. So Simon answers in verse 43, he says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more, and, and Jesus says to him, you have rightly judged. Look, again, the point of this story is that we need to be aware of the great need that we have and that we have a great appreciation for the greatness of the forgiveness that we have received. But there are those who are blinded by their pride, that they're unaware of how much they need forgiveness so they don't have a proper appreciation for it. And that's what makes us these motionless, uh, not motionless, emotionless, uh, dull and dead people. That we don't, we don't respond in these acts towards God because we have not experienced the grace from God and the forgiveness from God. It, that's why I think that when we take communion, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. Man, that should motivate me to, 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 to as Patrick said, for worship, to worship with my, you know, what was it, my underwear, right? Like, whatever it takes to worship God, like, I, just to have that response, because he's worthy of it. And I was unworthy of it, and yet he gave it to me. And so it brings about this, this response. So he says in verse 44, he turned to the woman, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? It's kind of a dumb question, right? Not really. 
Do you see this woman? Do you see her, Simon? Or do you just see her reputation? Do you see her as God's own creation? That he loves her? That he made her? I think Jesus sees her. Jesus knows her. Jesus loves her. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. <clears throat> you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Jesus shows us the contrast of actions between the woman and Simon. Simon couldn't even do the, the tiniest little thing that was just common courtesy back then. That you would put out a bowl of water for your guests to wash their feet. That you would greet them with a kiss. That you'd like a simple hello, a shaking of a hand. This is cultural stuff, right? That you, you couldn't do these simple, courteous things. You couldn't even do that. And he says in verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The woman's extravagant acts of love demonstrate that her heart has been changed by her experience of grace and forgiveness of God. And if grace has no effect on you, if it has not transformed you, if it has not changed the way that you view things and do things, if it if it doesn't cause and stir in your heart to show love and appreciation, if it doesn't cause you to serve him with everything that you are, have you truly experienced the grace of God? And then, do you even really know how wretched of a person that you are? Because you are a wretched and wicked and sinful person. Now, I will say this, there is some good in you. You may think, well, I am kind of a good person. Where does that come? God created us in his likeness and his image. So there is part good in humanity in that sense. There's a little bit of morality in us because of that. But at the end of the day, the Bible tells us point blank that we are sinners and that the consequence of sin is death. And there's, there's, it's real. And you know, you've experienced yourself when you felt the guilt and the shame. And I'm not talking about anything that somebody else has done to you. That, that's another subject. And, and that's very real. It's very valid. But I'm talking about your own sin and the things that you have done. Whether it, was, it, it, it came out in actions and you did something you shouldn't have done, or it just, it just happened in the heart. Maybe you have an anger issue. You have a jealousy issue. You have, I don't know what it is. There's so many things that we deal with as people. And you don't deserve, I mean, you and I don't deserve for, I don't even deserve to be alive. God should have just started over with mankind or just annihilated us to begin with. He had all the right to do that. But yet, once, the moment we disobeyed, he set in action the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to bring us back into a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way to do that is if we're forgiven of our sins, if we realize our sins and we turn to him. And he shows us that grace and that mercy. But again, that then, you may be wondering, why do people do these things for Jesus? Because they've experienced his grace. Why do people treat other people that way? Like, why do, why do they give everything they have to other people? Why do they go on missions? Now, I'm not saying everyone does it with the right heart and the right intention, but sometimes it's really easy and obvious to spot because they've experienced the grace of God. 
That's why they do what they do. Some other people, they do it because that's the Christian thing to do. He says in verse 48, then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. I don't know if there's four better words. I know four words that, on the other end of the spectrum are the worst words to hear. I never knew you, right? But the best four words, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So think about this. It wasn't her actions that, that brought about Jesus' adoration and love towards this person or the grace towards her. She had already been forgiven. And it was through her faith that he says, your faith has saved you. She was so broken, so outcasted. She realized that she was such a wicked and sinful person that when Jesus came teaching truth, that when he, when he started sharing the gospel and who he was and what he was to do, it hit her. And she realized, I need that. It brought her to her knees, in a sense. that She sought the forgiveness of Jesus, and Jesus forgave her because Jesus has the ability and the authority to do so. But it all stemmed from her faith towards Jesus and putting her faith in him. So the faith brought about salvation, which was grace, which then the grace and the experience of it brought about her love and her adoration and her, her thankfulness and her gratefulness to Jesus. That's why her actions were the way that they were. She didn't earn forgiveness by loving Jesus much. Her love was proof that she had been forgiven. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we learned something important in this, and we'll close here. It's important that we understand our own, that we have an awareness of our spiritual condition. And that our awareness of our spiritual condition is directly related to our actions. Our affection, our love is fueled by our faith and our gratitude. And if you love Jesus so little, it's only because you have a little idea of how much you have been forgiven. And when you fail to grasp the weight of your sins, you will then do the bare minimum. You will then probably look something like Simon. And when you fail to recognize how much you've been forgiven, you will not pour out your life like a fragrant perfume, like this, this woman. You'll become unemotional, disconnected, just the normal Sunday church-going person. You won't worship with emotion, love, and gratitude. You won't want to worship. You won't want to serve. You won't want to be here. You won't even want to do this anywhere. Again, you'll have the same attitude as Simon. You'll have the same attitude as Simon towards the lost, towards sinners, as we see him judging this woman. You have no interest in people being saved and redeemed and failing to understand how great your debt is and how much you have been forgiven will make you into a heartless minimalist, and you'll try to do as little as you can for Jesus. So the question is, do you love Jesus much, or do you love Jesus little? And your actions will reveal the answer to this question. And if you love him, it's because you've experienced the great grace from a loving God. It's your awareness and your perspective of your sin to a holy God. And the amazing grace that you have received. And if you haven't received it, you can simply receive it through faith. It's not some act of prayer. It's not going on a retreat. It's not doing this or that. It's by faith we are saved. If you believe in Christ, 
you believe that he died for your sins and rose from the grave, you are saved. And he can transform you. He will give you a new heart, which will then bring about these actions of love towards him. Listen, everyone in this room is not deserving of his grace, and yet he gives it. I still don't understand, but he tells me, and I've experienced it, and I will take it. I don't really need to understand. I just want it, and he gives it to me. So we're going to close there, but I want you to do do this, don't do this. You don't need to listen to me. I don't care. But I think it's good to have a perspective of our sin. And, and listen, God forgives you of your sin. So it's also not something that you have to be bogged down with, that you constantly have to be reminded of, of this, this sin. God, God, if God has forgiven you, then he has cleared your debt. But God has also given us a memory. I remember Patrick asking me this when he was in youth one day. This was like eight years ago. He asked me the question of why, why do we even remember the sin that we committed? And I believe it's for this exact story. It's for this exact reason. To remember the great grace that I have received, the debt that I have received, or the, the debt that I have been forgiven of. So it's not to, to constantly make me sad and, 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 and depressed. Because I'm joyful. The things that I've committed, I, I regret, but God has forgiven me. I'm done with that. But in a sense, I also remember it because now I have this perspective of I'm a sinner. I, Jeffrey, get off your high horse. God, you know, he forgave you of those things. And he constantly forgives me of things because I'm, I'm still a wicked man. And I still mess up. So what I want you to do, again, do it, don't do it, do it here, do it later, I don't care. But I think it would be really helpful if you wrote a list of the things that God has forgiven you of. Specific things. I don't know what it is. And, and, and again, maybe do, don't do it here because it's not, this is for you. You're not turning it in. You're not putting your name on it. This is just for you and the Lord. If you don't want to do it, again, don't do it. But I think it would be good to write down a list of things, whatever it was, specific things. If it was something I did, you know, February 14th in 2018 or you know, uh, what, something I did last night, or, or just my overall state of who I am. I'm a liar. I, I'm, I, I get angry easily. I do whatever. And it's not going to be an exhaustive list. This isn't a list for God to know. He already knows. It's not, this isn't some Catholic thing. This is just to help you, to have a good perspective. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this morning. Lord, we thank you for the great grace and love that you have for us. Lord, you forgive us and you tell us we can go in peace. And Lord, that peace brings about joy. It brings about excitement. Lord, everything about you is good. And I thank you for that. Because everything about me is not. The only reason that I am good is because of you. And I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you reveal to us, whether it's in this moment, it's later today, later this week, the wretched people that we are, the how we don't deserve your grace, but you are freely giving it to us if we seek it. And Lord, I thank you for that. And I pray that these kids would experience your grace, they would know it, that it would motivate them, Lord, to live lives that are worthy of it. And just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.